Are you a business owner looking for real advice and input? You're in the right place. From concept to launch to growth, funding and beyond. Welcome to Startup Hustle with your hosts. One once sold a business for $150 million. The other, the author of Million Dollar Bedroom. Here are your hosts of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCourcy and Matt Watson. Hello and welcome back to Startup Hustle with Matt Watson and Matt DeCourcy. How are you doing, Matt? Pretty good. Trying to figure out uh, the plan for 2018. Well, that's a good thing to do today because we're going to be talking about part two of our five-part series. And today is all about planning for your startup. You love planning, don't you? You know, a few of the people that work with me in my office would probably tell you that there's a specific Mattism. And uh, from time to time, you may hear me say the words, the plan is, there is no plan. Yeah, I, I, I've been using that same template uh, for a while. I usually dive in and then start working on my plan. I, th- I thought it was to jump and grow wings. Jump and build wings. Jump and build wings. Okay. Yeah, both, both situations work. Um, honestly, I'm probably lucky in some regards to have found some of the success that I've had because I haven't been a huge planner. And I think that you and I have discussed that, that you aren't always the same, that you're, you're not always the you know greatest upfront planner as well. It's not my strong suit. I guess I'm more of a aim in the right direction, figure out the problem I'm trying to solve and then iterate towards it. But I, but I think the problem is when you're trying to start a new company, before you go raise a bunch of money or spend a bunch of money or quit your job, you should have a little bit of a plan. Yeah, and I agree. I think especially if you're going to be asking other people for money, then you have to have a plan. Um, you're not going to get any of mine without one. But then again, I also, and some of the things we'll talk about, I also have an expectation that most of the stuff that is in the plan that you hand me is a fairy tale. Well, and I, I think you're right. When you take somebody else's money, everything becomes a lot more real, and that kind of weighs on you. And you definitely want to have a plan before you take somebody's money. Right. So you're saying that there's a business plan and then there's a reality plan. There is no plan. Okay. But I think we have to give people advice about planning because <laughs> we, our mission statement in episode one was that we were going to offer help for people. And therefore, uh, I don't think most of these people are going to get their businesses funded without some idea of where they want to go. Okay, so they should probably have a plan. That would be a good idea. Yeah, so all right, so we're deciding on planning then. Okay. Plan A. Okay, plan A. So with that, you know, I think you can always assume that your plan's going to change. So what are some of the reasons that your plan changed? Well, because A, shit happens, and B, I mean, it's true, but, you know, with that, you just don't always know what you're going to need to know until the time that you realize that you don't know it. And I think that part of that is the learning curve that comes with anything that you want to do. Now, my point here is that as you're trying to start your business, if you're spending 99% of your time creating a a 70-page business plan, you're probably wasting a lot of time. I think it's a good idea. Like, I love the idea of doing projections and getting an idea of, like, where I might be if this or that or this occurs. But I also realize after years of experience that the likelihood of those projections being right is zero. 
So I think it can also, that kind of planning can give you an idea of what you might be in for, but I also know that relying on that being correct or accurate is a fool's economy. So, so what do you think some of the first things are that somebody should plan? Well, you have to have a basic idea about what you want to do. What's, what, do what does your company do? What's the problem you solve? You know, what are you going into business to do? And who do you solve it for? Right. And then Maybe how do you... Who do you solve it with? Who, who are your other players on the team going to be? The team that you need, the right. co-founders or the vendors to help you build it. I mean, if depending on the type of company and product that you're building, you know, if you're building a, a, a hardware product, right, like who's going to build the hardware, right? Or if it's software, who's going to write the software? Or if it's a McDonald's that you're opening, then there's a whole news, like there's a whole different thing, right? So you got to figure out who you need on the team to pull this off. And maybe who's going to sell it, yeah. how you're going to sell it. If you build it, they will come. That's not important. Wait, 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 wait. We need to back up here. Um, this isn't Field of Dreams. This is Startup Hustle. This is a, re a realistic expectation of what you're going to get as a business founder. Every time you've built something, did they just line up for it? Nope. Okay, me neither. So, the, so we moved to plan B. Okay, plan B, which, wait, the plan's already changing. <laughs> well, the problem is... When you're starting a new company, and this and this is true for most things in life, a lot of the times you don't know what you don't know. Right. Right? You, you just don't know. So what's the best way to determine that and figure that out? You got to talk to a lot of people. Or and, just start. And you got to start. I think the biggest problem that a lot of entrepreneurs have is they're scared to talk to people. Right. Well, I have a lot of good ideas that I wanted to share with you, but I'm really terrified that you're going to steal all of them. I got too much shit to do. I don't care about your damn idea. Why not? But if you buy me coffee, I'll talk to you about it. Wait, no, no, no. That's that's giving people the wrong impression, too. Uh, that would make you an asshole. What? Yeah. Yeah, that means that you think my time is worth uh, $4 an hour. I'm sorry. I'll buy you coffee, and I'll give you advice for free. Okay, I've been drinking your coffee here at the office for free anyway, so I might owe you a lot of free advice. Uh, but no, I think the point that you're saying that you're making is talking to a lot of people about your idea is great. And, you know, actually, just before we sat down to record this, I had someone that had been listening to the series message me on Facebook. And it was it was a guy out in California. He had uh, some questions about his business. When I replied, he seemed very surprised that I even replied. But I gave him three minutes worth of advice. And he was just basically asking, he's like, I've got this idea, I've built this thing, but I don't know how to market it. He said, what, what, what would you and Matt do? I said, we'd probably write blogs, which is true. It's a good place to start. Right. And, you know, he was a little strapped for cash. But the thing is, is don't be afraid to ask. He, you know, I, he said really nice stuff about what we were doing. And I felt like I should maybe give him three he, minutes of my time. He buttered you up a little bit. Yeah, he said nice stuff. He said that Watson guy's really smart. I'm not sure about you, DeCourcy, but I am going to keep listening. Well, I think the key is, and that's that is that is true. But I, I get think, I get that a lot. Yeah, I, I think the key is don't be scared to reach out to people. Right. Be on LinkedIn or a friend of a friend, and in all honesty, most people are not going to have the passion you have or the vision you have for whatever crazy idea you have. I, I talk to people all the time. I'd be glad to give them advice, be glad to listen. But at the end of the day, once that coffee's over, lunch is over, whatever, I'm never going to think about that person ever again. I got my own bunch of crap to do, right? 
I'm not going to run around and steal their idea. No, I agree. And I think that it's a good way to, you know, there's a lot of ways to validate whether an idea is good or not. And just because one person tells you your idea isn't good doesn't mean it's not good. But, you know, asking, talking to a lot of people about like, what do you, do you find any utility in my idea or my process? What do you think my chances are of succeeding? What do you think is going to, what do you think I'm going to need to get this started? What can I expect? And find anybody, find anybody that has worked at a startup, owns a business, is good at anything regarding business. And you can probably extract some pretty decent advice. Just be realistic in your expectation of A, that they'll even reply, B, how much time they've got and get right to the point. You know, like if I don't know you and you want advice about your business, we don't, I'm going to give it to you or I'm not. I don't need 20 minutes of small talk. That's just me. I'm just not a big small talk guy. Like if you have a question about the business, ask me if I have a few minutes, I'll answer it. And I don't have a problem with that. I had a lot of people do that for me along the way. Actually, I mean, I'm talking years before I even started my first business. I was already asking anybody that I could find about how to be successful at business. I knew that I had this manifest destiny of owning my, being an entrepreneur or owning a business or doing something. So I just kept, every time I'd run into people that were successful doing what they do, I tried to learn as much as I could about it. Well, a lot of times I go into meetings with people, have breakfast with them or something, and my expectation from getting a lot out of it can be pretty low. But more often than not, usually do get something out of it. And sometimes it, it could be that that person knows somebody else that could be a potential customer or they know somebody else who uh, could use my product. Like, you know, one of the, the people we, we had on the show recently, you know, I know a couple people that are their potential customer. Right. Right. So yep. even though I'm not. Yep. And if you looked at me on LinkedIn or knew anything about me, you'd say, Matt knows nothing about this thing. Well, I, I know some people who do. We've actually had a lot of that. We found a lot of possible synergies with guests and other people that we know and stuff like that. So wait a minute. So sometimes if you ask someone for advice about your business, they'll meet you for breakfast, end up in your book, and then you'll host a podcast with them later? It's possible. That's actually how I got to be friends with you. That's right. I didn't know you from anybody, like any, any stranger on the street. I could have just walked past you, not even known you. I actually reached out to Matt because he's had a very successful track record doing what he does. And I just wanted some, some advice. We don't live that far from each other. We met for breakfast. Next thing you know, I'm getting some good advice. I appreciated it. I even remember what you told me. You were talking about, we were talking about Gigabuck and I was saying, you know, hey, I, I'm adjusting my prices to be as low as eight bucks a month, which I'm going to raise them back up, which was probably in Congress with the advice you gave me, which is you have to stack up a lot of $8 bills to make it matter. <laughs> I've never seen an $8 bill, by the way. I have. That's how we get paid. It's a new, it's a, it's a, a new form of cryptocurrency. Okay. That, you know, that's hot lately. So I'm trying to get my own brand out there. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think that another thing, too, to consider is when you're making your plan and you're getting ready to start, you, you know, it's very easy to think about what you're doing in five years. Well, you got to get through that first year or that first six months before any of that matters. And I'm not saying that you should sacrifice the long term on the altar of the immediate. However, worrying about what you're doing or where you're going to be in five years is pretty much moot if you can't get the critical mass going forward to, you know, stay in business that long. But 
but wait a second. Um, at what point in time do you plan, you know, what kind of Ferrari or Maserati you're going to buy? After you sell the company. No, 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 no. Then do you, do, do you wait to, to plan that after you get funding or is that after your first customer? Yeah. Write the business yes. plan? After you've achieved, determ- after you've determined your path to revenue, you do get to buy a really expensive sports Okay. Car. So it should not be part of the plan? It's actually, it's in all of my business plans and something I plan on depreciating over the years because, you know, millions of dollars of profits <laughs> right away is going to... But, but some people get hung up on that stuff, right? They, they uh, start writing a business plan and they're like, I'm going to be a billionaire in five years. You're not. Well, you might be, but the probability is that you're not. Actually, the probability is going to be that you're going to fail horribly. I thought I read one day that one in 2,000 startups get funded. Yeah. And then like 90% of those fail. I'm, I'm banking on your math and research being correct, but that sounds about right. So, you know, with that, we've, we've already covered, we've already had an episode about why a lot of startups fail. We actually covered that early because it's a pretty important part of the whole, you know, process is understanding where and, you know, what kind of obstacles might be in your path. Now, as far as like, the short-term stuff goes, I think that when you're planning for your new business, you need, to, you need to have a sense of urgency about a lot of things. And I think a sense of urgency is something that a lot of people are lacking. It's the hustle. That the, yeah. It's and, part of the hustle, And I right? mean, I do that. I'm, you know, Gigabook's been open for a long time, and I have a sense of urgency with everything still. You know, it's still growing. I'm still trying to do a lot of things better. So when I see certain things that are choking our progress, I have a sense of urgency to fix them and address them. And I would say if you don't have a sense of urgency, probably means you're, you shouldn't be doing this. Or you don't care. Yeah, you just don't care about it. Yeah. Because, I mean, I would say even, you know, over the last six years of StackFi, I think there were some periods there over the six years. It's like, do you just kind of get up every day and go to work and you kind of lose that lack of urgency, but that, that kind of killer instinct and hustle is what moves you forward. Well, and with that, you have to determine the things that are really important for the business to, to maintain a heartbeat. And, you know, whether I, I, I've run into a lot of people that are startup founders that, you know, are building say a software platform and they think they're in the business of building a software platform. You're not, they're in the business of selling that service to end users. So it's easy to kind of get caught up in, in the whole like, hey, we're, we're building the better mousetrap. You know, here we are. And there, I, I love to use this analogy. There's a, or this old you know, fable or whatever you want to call it. There's a story about a, a shopkeeper that never opens a store because he's so obsessed with keeping it clean. And, you know, there's, there's a lot to be, would you rather have a super clean store with no customers in it or one that was filthy that was like the Apple store where you have to wait in line to come in the door on some days, you know, and, and my point is, is, is your sense of urgency should be around shortening your path to revenue, getting users, even if they're not paid that kind of data, because that is the end goal. And you're never going to sell it or make a living or get that Ferrari you're talking about without the sales and the customers and then keeping them on board. You know, I was reading the other day that I heard this a long time ago that, you know, keeping your existing customers is five to ten times cheaper than finding a new one. 
So, you know, as your growth occurs and if things are going the way that you want, you're going to have new challenges and you're going to have a lot of stuff that you have to deal with that oftentimes, well, how often do you get derailed from what you would like to be doing instead of, and and instead doing what you now have to be doing? Every day? Yeah. Yeah. I'd say multiple times every day. And that's, I mean, that's part of the problem, right? Especially, it's less of an issue when you're first starting a company because there's, the main things that would be distracting you are probably family or if you have a current job, you know, as you're trying to make this transition. But definitely once you get started, for sure, it's it's a never-ending. It's a, you th- everything's great and then an employee quits or a customer cancels or something's on fire. Like it's just – Those are all – yeah, those are all givens. I just assume that anybody in or around my startup is – standing in a pool of gas with a lit match. You know, I mean, that's, that's about as, as uh, you know, cynical as it can be. But, you know, the one, and, you know, I don't really like making promises, but the one thing I think you can, I can promise you is that things will always change. Well, so if you talk about the plan and the go-to-market strategy some more, I think the first thing you got to, you got to realize is who your customer is, uh, how long that sales cycle will take, how do you reach them? So, for example, if, if your goal is to go sell your product to, you know, GE and Walmart and Apple and all these giant companies. You see, know, see you in 2019. That, that's a yeah. really long sales cycle, right? Um, and how you build your, your business and your products to cater to those types of companies is probably radically different from catering to, you know, a bunch of small businesses that, are easier for you to get access to, easier for them to give feedback and make a decision. Now, they're not going to make pay as much money. But as you're planning your your product and your services, you got to know who you're targeting. And if you're and if the answer is everyone, then you don't you have no idea what you're doing. Right. Right. Cuz it's, it's never everyone. You have to optimize around one or the other. I think a lot of people are are overly enamored by the mega client. You know, like you could just say Walmart for example, like what, while those kind of companies and those kind of uh, deals and contracts can very much put you on the map, they're also going to probably be at razor thin margins and sometimes can come at the expense of all of the other customers and clients that you might have. Because they, you might find that your lowest margin client or user is now your highest demand. Well, didn't you have that happen with Gigabook? You had some people come to you that wanted you to do a bunch of special work for them, and they were going to be a big client. Yep. You did all the special work. Yep. It was very early in the process. I learned a very, very tough lesson about, uh, you know, basically here comes a, a huge company. They, you know, and I, and I tried to do the best I could to determine, you know, what, it, what do we need to do to get your business? So they said this, 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 and this. We dropped everything we were doing and spent the next six weeks making that stuff happen for them. And we did make it happen, but then they didn't become users. And, you know, the lesson that I learned was, A, don't build things on spec. Um, I stick to that rule now and forever. Um, With that, I think that, you know, basically we got used as a guinea pig. Uh, I think that they had some questions that they were curious about answering, and we helped them answer that. But, um, you know, the way I had it, I eventually headed that off because at about the six weeks mark, I, you know, I really realized we're not having 
that this funnel is not forming. We're not having conversations about you doing business with us. We're still having conversations about this experiment that we're running. So, you know, with that, I have a lot of opportunity costs that was created because we weren't making progress in the other parts of the business that we were making progress at before we dropped everything. So, and speaking of that and the, the taking in of money, we said that funding is, is very rare, but if you do find it, are there different kinds? Well, I would say that the, the very first funding you're going to get is probably from uh, a VC, from a Visa card. Yeah. Or from <laughs> friends and family. You mean the VS? Sure. That's different than the VC. Or American Express, or MasterCard. Yeah. You can yeah. sell your Bitcoin. Yeah. Get a second mortgage on your house. Whatever it is. Those all sound really risky. Yeah. Well, are you in or out? You mean there's risk involved? Yeah, there's a lot of risk. <laughs> but most most of the money, I don't remember what the statistics were, but it was like there was more money raised by friends and family than all of the money raised in total from all the VCs, private equity, all of that. A, a lot of small businesses in the early stages raise money from friends and family. Yeah, I think most do. And the reason, much like you have your path to revenue, you have your path to funding. I mean, my, that's the shortest path. My first company, we funded most of it um, from my personal credit cards. Yeah. Right? Well, as, as you may have read in Million Dollar Bedroom, I started my first company like that and then also used the credit cards of all my friends and then family. To, to buy and, inventory. Yeah, it was right. just leveraging. And, you know, we, we weren't able to buy it, sell it, and collect that money fast enough. So that was a problem that we had to overcome. Now, had a very difficult time getting people to buy into the concept in the beginning. By the time I got to year two, I had people literally begging me because of the points they were accumulating. You know, we're spending so much money through these cards. We had people that when we shut that business down, uh, I think the number one thing that people still say to me is, I miss points. I miss points too. Trust me, I really do. But there was, you know, we had some people that were definitely racking them up. And, and, you know, that was, you know, it was very risky. And I had, you know, I, I woke up a lot in the middle of the night in, in those first months because I was freaked out. Like, it's a lot of responsibility when it comes to, well, first off, it's really stressful to put your own money in. I think it's 10 times more stressful to have other people's money in. I can deal with losing my money. Right. And I, it's not that I like it but I'm going to not feel as bad about it as if I lose yours. And that that's a lot of stress. And for those of you that are out there in an early stage in your business, it is absolutely normal at the stage you're at and even later to wake up in the middle of the night and wonder, wow, you know, is this really going to happen? You know, what am I chasing? What am I looking for? Blah, blah, blah. These things are all pretty normal. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty standard to, have a little bit of self-doubt. So I'm going to take your money, Matt, but how, how am I determining what this concept's worth? It's not worth anything. Why? It's a great idea. And if only 30% of people that needed it would use it and pay for it, well, we get islands and, and Ferraris a, and jets. And, and it's a $50 billion market. Yeah. You're going to sell it to 30% of them. Yeah, I'm going to take over 30% of the market. I'm going to have the 30% market share pretty much right away because these projections say that I'm going to get that and fast. That sounds too easy. 
No, it's all right here in my plan. <laughs> so look at these graphs and these charts. Like, look, that's a hockey stick. That's what everyone's looking for. Yeah, you're good at making shit up. Well, I mean, I think anybody. You are a salesperson. Oh, come on now. Anybody writing a business plan has probably gotten good at making some shit I've, up. <laughs> you know, I've never done a forecast in my life that was remotely close, even after being in business for the same business for like yeah. five years, right? You're yeah. trying to forecast the next year, like. The only, it never works. The only one that I've been close on was the business I invested in that had had a built-in service contractor from a service contract from a vendor. They were, and we still weren't accurate there. We were just be able to formulate a range. Now, yeah, I, I don't know how you value a company at that early of a stage. I, I guess you you think about okay, what 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 is the what is the opportunity for how big this company could be? Is it is it a potentially a billion dollar company or is it you know, best case scenario, this company is going to do $500,000 a year in revenue, right? Like how you value that versus how you value something that could grow to be a billion dollar company is very different. I think some of it is just how much capital you need, right? It's like we need 50000 we need 100000 Um Sometimes it, it's that is in kind of relation, like you can sell 20% of the company for that number or whatever. It's There's really no wrong or right answer. You know, you said something to me earlier this year, and I can't remember where you had been, but you were listening to pitches or you had done something, and you were amazed at the amount of money that some of the startups wanted just to prove whether the concept would work or not. Right, yeah. And, you know, that's another thing, too. It's like sometimes that first seed round, it, it's not abnormal to say, hey, we're trying to raise $100,000 to see if this is even going to fly. Well, and and – the problem is you can spend a year trying to find that money where odds are you might be better off if you could just find somebody else who put the sweat, sweat equity in, a co-founder, um, to just figure out and, and prove it. Right. So I think the conclusion on early stage valuation is it's worth about whatever you can get someone to give you for it. I think that's about right. I mean, that's that's accurate. So if... And you, and you better have a rich aunt or uncle or somebody. Maybe. Or you better be able to, if you make enough money from your job, you can fund some of it or you better have some savings or, or something. I mean, I know some, some people who cashed in their 401ks to do it, right? Um, it You got to find a little bit of money somewhere. There's actually some plans that can help you do that. Yeah, there's uh, the, jobs the, the Jobs Act. The Jobs Act. And there's, some, there's some limitations uh, Rob, with uh, that. Rob... The ROBS. Yeah, it's the ROBS. Yeah, rollover business yeah. something. But by the way, if you ever do that, there's it's a, lot a of freaking nightmare. And there's a lot of limitations if you want to try to find future partners yes. or investors. Because I, I uh, did an investment with a, a company that had done that. And uh, boy, it was a total cluster. Yeah, it's, it, that's good if you want to open a franchise or something like that. If you plan to take somebody else's money later, it's a nightmare. Yeah. Normal VCs or... And sophisticated investors are probably going to run away. So I have a really good idea that I'd like to pitch to you. You got 30 seconds. Oh, man. I think your point is, is if you can't fit your entire pitch and your entire presentation on the front of one piece of paper, it's too complex. Is that fair? Yeah. And your email to me better be like two sentences. Yeah. Like, I have an idea. It's about this. Can I buy you coffee? 
I don't even. If you want, send me anything more than that, like I don't even I want the invite to. Co- I don't want the invite to coffee. Just send me the one page. Hey, this is a good idea. Are you interested? Because ain't nobody got time for that. Yeah, send it to Matt at gigabook.com. I'll be happy to look at your one-page business plan and most likely reply to it if that's all that is included in it. Now, here's the point. You have 10% of my attention. For 30 seconds. For 30 seconds. Maybe a little (laughs) more than that. Maybe like 90 seconds, which, you know, might be like nine seconds. But the thing is, is, you know, much like a commercial or an ad or something like that, you know, you're not getting a deal from me. And that email with your 60-page plan, your goal should be to just get my attention. And that's where the one-pager comes from. And I've gone through this. Like, I've actually advised and worked with startup founders to help them create their own plan. And they'll give me, I'll say, do you have a one-pager? And they'll send me, like, a nine-pager. I said, no, get this shit on one page. And then they'll send me a three-pager. Am I, am I not clear? about what I'm looking for. Get it all on one page. The people that you're pitching to, if you're going the VC route, are likely to be that a very driven uh, type A person that isn't going to sit down and look through your 70-page plan. The guy that works for him that analyzes all that stuff will do that if you manage to make it five steps further in the process. Think about it like going to a website and reading a blog post or something, right? Like, Lots of headlines, lots of small sentences, lots of pretty pictures, you know, easy to read, easy to skim, right? The last thing you want to do is get something that looks like it's a Bible and it's two columns of dense text. Like, ain't nobody going to read through that. I'll make it really simple. The problem, our solution, our competitors, why we do it better than they do, maybe the amount of money that you need three reasons why you need that money and what you're going to do with it, who your founding team is, and how I can contact you. Did I leave anything out? Uh, well, until you said who the founding team was because, you know, at this stage I'm betting on the jockey. So right. that might be the first thing you want to talk about yeah. of why you're qualified to solve this problem. I Well, when I pitch people now, I just send an 8 by 10 glossy photo. Just your picture? Yeah. That's all it takes? I'm not getting very good responses (laughs) and results from that, but I'm refining it. I'm thinking that, yeah, I'll get back to you. So so is that like going through business plans kind of like Tinder then? Is it just you just swipe left or swipe right? I've never been on on Tinder, but that is from what I understand about it. I think that that's pretty much what you can assume. And. You know, the, the point is, is, is no one wants to read your 70-page plan. And it doesn't mean you shouldn't have one, we, it, you know, but the one-pager, if you can get people's attention, then guess what? They're going to want an executive summary, which right. is about a three- to five-page. Right. And then if you make it past that where you actually have a meeting and you're going, you should at that point have a full formal business plan, including financial projections. And, you know, like there's actually, and I, I haven't, wanted to make Startup Hustle about endorsing third-party products, but uh, I enjoy, I've used LivePlan, which is honestly not that great for creating the first half of the business plan, but for projections and financials, it makes life a dream because it's really easy to mess that stuff up. If you haven't done it, it's really time consuming and they have kind of a plug and play. You know, they ask you about time frames and they help you do certain kind of calculations that are honestly really easy to mess up. So I think that brings up a good question. So when you're 
trying to do forecast, how do you actually do them? Um, when you were doing that, like, yeah, I, I well, mean, you think you're going to sign up a thousand customers every month. You know, you know what I do is I actually figure out what I need, like the most bare bones stuff that I need to run the company. And then I create, I, I basically scale that up percentage wise as I scale up my projections for revenue. So if I need $10,000 worth of expenses for $100,000 worth of revenue, I will add, then I need $15,000 worth of expenses for $150,000 in revenue. Now, this isn't, a, this isn't the exact formula that's going to work, but for me, that's the way to kind of figure it out because you really don't know. And that's a really good question that you're going to need to answer is, you know, as far as scalability goes, is are you going to just continually need more expense that is, going to, that is going to work at an equal level of your increases in revenue? Meaning you're always going to run a deficit. What are, What is your customer acquisition cost? I've never acquired a customer, Matt. I don't know. I, I have acquired some customers, but not for this particular <laughs> question. So, and those are the things too that you have to figure out. And I think that that's that's the difference between, you know, even having this rickety MVP model. Like you're better off trying to show something. It, something at all, then, hey, here's my paper. I want you to, I want you to, you know, get in on this. And that's where some of your first money is probably best spent. And you've mentioned in prior episodes, even if you're just modeling out, give me something to see. Well, so the, most people probably fail at forecast because they think they're going to grow like some massive exponential hockey stick. And I think for the first two or three years, you're actually going to see some usually pretty small growth as right. you're trying to figure things out. And I think that's expected from those that could yeah. possibly invest in you. Like, I think if you go in and you're like, you know what, this is just going to be, we're going to be hot and big, and this is the unicorn that you haven't been able to buy into yet, uh, it's not going to sound so good. I mean, the, the holy grail is a company that will triple, triple, double, double. So they will triple revenue one year, the next year triple next year double, the next year double, and then from there. Triple, triple, double, double. Yeah. And okay. very, very few people ever accomplish it. So. The unicorns do, but nobody else does. Right. And, well, the first triple is pretty easy. Well, if you're going from like $100 Zero. to $300. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's a, it's that stuff down the road. And, and, you know, when we're talking about pitches, another thing, too, is keep in mind, you're, you're, in, a, you're in a stack of paper or emails or pitches that is taller than you are. Do something to stand out. You know, like, you know, I'm a big advocate of video presentations. I would probably watch your video pitch before I would read the paper that you sent me. And that gives, you know, these are the kind of modern things that, well, you know, my new iPhone does amazing video. All I have to do is have someone hold it. I can give you a pitch. And, right. and if you're someone that is, if you're composed and you are presentable, then these are the things that you can use to stand out. Well, and you're, you're also way better off if you can get somebody else to introduce you. Right. That's a good point, too. So I'm going to ask you to introduce me to a bunch of people. No. In about 10 minutes. Why? <laughs> Why? I'm just going to send them I, look, your I've uh, got, picture. I, I just, yeah. Damn it. <laughs> I just want you to forward this 73-page plan 
because my 70 page plan now has a three page one pager on it okay. and actually it's 74 pages because i'm going to use the uh, eight by ten glossy as the cover page i know a few people i know that's why i'm asking you to do it you and know I'll buy you a cup of coffee if that's what you want you know never in my life uh you go back 10 years ago did i think i'd ever know a millionaire right never thought i'd even know one meet one i have met five or six billionaires yeah. in my life yeah i yeah and that is still very strange. I actually live, actually live by one. You um, live by more than one. But the um, after I sold my company, I guess I do too. I was able to go to a, a board meeting for the company, and there was like two or three in the room, and that was just it was just kind of cool, cool experience. But anyways, I'm not sending them your plan. It's well, your plan is too small for them. I know where you live, it's so penis. I'm just going to drop them off. They, they need to invest like hundreds of millions of dollars at a time. Yeah. Well, it's it's funny you, you talk about that. That's a way of measuring success, what you just mentioned. I was on this uh, Facebook Live thing last night for an entrepreneurial adventure guide. And uh, one of the questions that was asked was, um, when did you how do you determine whether you're successful? And I realized that I've had like five different levels of that. Because I kept exceeding what I thought, oh, man, if I could just do this, my my lifelong dream would be great. And then you're 33 and you did it. And you're like, wow. I mean, you're kind of like that in some ways. I, I don't think you started Ben Solutions thinking that you were going to sell it. Was that before you were 30? Sold it before I was 30, yeah. Did they pay you with a giant check, like no. a lottery check? No. I would have demanded that. I think you really kind of. When I paid my it. taxes, that's what it looked like. No, that was the number. That was the number, not the check itself. Although, if I had to pay those taxes, I also would have sent that with a big ass check. Yeah, that's what they always say. If you're if you're paying the taxes, and I think that's a that's a you know it's funny because I think a lot of people don't realize how much that comes up to. You know, it, Uncle Sam's like the worst business partner ever. Yeah, absolutely. You pay him a lot. He doesn't ever come to work. He definitely doesn't show up on time, and there's no gratitude. I feel like through <laughs> no the, hustle. I feel like yeah, there's no hustle. no hustle. It's like the worst business partner ever. So put that in your plan as like cross him off. So I think the last thing I really want to touch on when it comes to the plan is okay. So you've got a great idea, and you've got a great product. You might even have a great team. If you, if I'm your potential investor and you can't tell me how you're going to sell this game over what's your plan how is this hitting the market like who's going to sell it do you agree absolutely and i uh you know one funny story i have for you uh now friend i I met not too long ago here in kansas city i met him for the first time and he owns a software company i asked him like what do you guys do and he goes on to explain to me for 60 seconds or so and i'm like what do you do (laughs) Like you gotta have that down too. You gotta have down the the what it is that you do. You gotta have that down that that elevate elevator pitch right down to one or two concrete sentences, and that's hard for some and, people. And and one or two sentences for sure. Yeah. Once again, you have ten percent of my attention. Yeah. By the time you get to the point, you may have already numbed someone. Yeah, and this guy's like. Yeah. This guy was just like rattling on and on and on and on. Even after like minutes of time, I still like, I have no idea what you do. That's something that I personally have had a challenge with because when some, you know, when you ask me about things I'm passionate and excited about, I can become verbose about it. I've had to kind of train myself. You know, what does Gigabook do? We help people take appointments through their websites. 
And if they show interest past that, or ask, then I want you to ask a question. Oh, wow, that's something I might like. What do you do? Do you use anything right now? Those kind of things. Right. I'm not going to sit there and overly explain the whole thing. Now, back to the selling part, you know, if you're not good at selling stuff, well, you better know that and you better figure out how or find and, someone and, that can sell. And I would say there's nothing wrong with not knowing. The first thing right. you got to do is admit that you don't know. Right. You know, I, there's lots of things that I'm good at and there's lots of things I'm not good at. And the smartest thing you can do is is be realistic with yourself about the things you're not good at and know that you got to surround yourself with people that are. And by the way, if you do find a seasoned investor, they're going to figure that out anyway. They're going to, you know, like you don't just show up to the meeting. It's not like I almost said Shark Tank, but we know that that we now know that that doesn't always operate the way that we thought. But the point is, is it's a, you know, getting funded and, and, and prepared and planned to run your business is a process. And if other people have a lot of money they've figured out how to hang on to it at some point, which means that they've learned, they've probably already learned a few tough lessons and they've learned what they need to get into. If you're getting money from a venture firm, then they're really going to get into your, into your shit. They, they can tell, they can tell if you know what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, like, I don't know. I think I would rather have a bad product that had great marketing and sales than a great product with terrible sales. We see it all the time. I bet you have competitors that you look under the hood and you look at their product and you're like, holy crap, this thing is terrible. But they're good at marketing or SEO or something. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I actually do run into that a lot. And, you know, it's like, what are you going to do? But the fact of the matter, it's, you know, my competitors in, in my industry get swallowed up by big companies, you know, payment processors or, you know, accounting platforms or stuff like that. And they're people, they're businesses that have these three million deep, email lists. God, would I love one of those? And, you know, the, the point is, is sometimes your competitor isn't even selling outwardly. They're, you know, they're working on, uh, you know, they're building from the accounts and stuff that they already have. So the point is, is you got to figure out one to three ways that you're going to sell something. It can be as simple as Google ads. It can be other approach and then know your stuff. And there's a lot, you know, there's free platforms that'll give you an estimate of how much an ad click might cost and stuff like that. You know, I've, I've spent a lot of money on AdWords. It doesn't work. Actually, that's not true. I've spent a lot of money on a lot of advertising that hasn't worked. It's, Even though it was part of my plan, Matt. AdWords, I hear that a lot. People say, well, I tried Google cost per click and it didn't work. Actually, it worked every single time. The idea of cost per click is to get a user to your offering. So maybe your offering or your product or your presentation was what didn't work. Could right, that be well, true? I think the point is <laughs> the plan was I was going to build some awesome product and then pay Google to advertise it for me and advertise on Facebook and then like, cash would just rain down from the heavens and I would get my Ferrari and that shit didn't work. Part of it may have. It didn't work. So how much is the average cost per click that you pay on Google for Stackify? Uh, depending on the, so the best keywords are like five to $10 per click and the ROI on them is not there because it's cost too damn much. Yeah. My, my average cost per click because I cap it is about four bucks. 
and I could spend twice that, but I get to the point uh, where it's not even giving me a regular return. So with that, how many clicks does it take to get someone to sign up for a trial? To the middle of the Tootsie Roll? It takes me about anywhere from 10 to 12, depending on the day. Yeah, that's right. It takes 50 bucks for me to get someone to sign up for a free trial. Now, how many free trials did we need before we completed the projections on this plan? A lot. There you go. There's your customer acquisition Do cost. the math on that, people. There's so your customer acquisition How much money are right you there. looking for, Mr. DeCourcy? A lot. So, all right. So, anyway, I think we covered a lot of stuff here. Um, you know, I think that in, to, to finalize the whole VC thing and the funding thing, get ready to hear now. A lot. A whole lot. That's why you better get out your VC and your MC and your Amex. Those don't say no. <laughs> they don't say no. Well, they do at some point. <laughs> so make sure you also realize what that is. Well, hopefully everyone listening got a very realistic and informative approach. Um, we did cover some of these things. If you want more details on why getting funded sucks, I, that was episode two. You want to learn more about how businesses fail and, and more detail. That was episode three. Uh, make sure that you visit the startuphustle.xyz website and listen to the other episodes. We are intentionally finding entrepreneurs of all levels of and stages of business and success. We are pushing them to tell not only what they did well, but what they didn't do well. And we're doing that because we wish that someone had done the same for us. Do you have anything else to say, Mr. Watson? Well, I think most of the lessons are lessons you learn from failure, not from success. So, Well, we're going to go ahead and sign off because I've got to get Matt to introduce me to anywhere between ten and 12,000 people. All right, let's do it. I need your photo. See you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCarsi and Matt Watson. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit startuphustle.xyz. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on Startup Hustle. Startup Hustle.